You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Isaac Bennett, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It's great to have you on the program today. I'm so pleased to be here, Brian. Thank you for having me. We are going to talk about your very personal story regarding the double life you were living for 25 years and how the shame of that ultimately led you into planning to take your own life while your wife was away on a trip. But she decided to come home one day earlier, and that's when a chain of amazing events began to unfold that literally changed your life. Before we go there, please share some of your backstory. Yeah, absolutely. So just to start with how I grew up, grew up in central Illinois and in a family uh, of seven children. I was the fifth of seven children. And I think that's probably pretty instructive of a lot of the things that happened, because I think when you grow up in a big family, you have really a, a very different experience than many people had. And that may be a topic for another time. But, you know, certainly my parents were Christ followers and instilled values within the kids that persist to this day of following Christ. So I, I would say that I accepted Christ at a young age, but it was very much a follow in the footsteps of my parents' faith and not a a surrendering to the Lord and a surrendering to his will for my life. It was much more of a head knowledge than a heart knowledge. Mm. And it really remained that way until probably about five, six years ago. What was it that shifted for you? What really shifted was that I began to feel that I was missing it. And I struggled with, among many other things, which I think we'll get into, I struggled with the assurance of salvation. And as I observed people around me, I recognized that there was a certain type of person that didn't didn't struggle with that. And they seemed to be different than me. At the time, I was severely depressed. And I had, I think the darker portions of my heart were taking more real estate than the lighter portions. And I quite simply recognized what the power and the impact of the Holy Spirit on other people's lives should look like and tried to take a really honest reflection on my own life to recognize like, this is not my disposition. Mm. And, and so I must be missing it. So to tell you the truth, I dug really, really deep and began confronting the things in my life that were keeping me from God. And it was a uh, painful, iterative process over a course of years. But I think what shifted it for me was an honest reflection into seeing how other people had the Holy Spirit throughout their countenance, and I really did not. So is it fair to say that you were at that time living a double life? Oh, absolutely. And it was probably more than two lives. It was a performance mentality that was very rules-based. And on one hand, I could project that I followed those rules really well to a T. On another hand, depending on the crowd I was in or the mood I was in or the situation, I didn't follow them at all. So it was performing and showing the rules being followed in one area and completely ignoring the rules in another, which is, of course, why rules-based faith doesn't work. So yeah, it was my entire life was a facade that had been created to construct an image, no doubt about it. So then you went into this deep 
reviewing of your life and you came to the conclusion that there's this freedom that you could experience that you've seen in other people, but you weren't experiencing it. So now what? Yeah. And I think that probably most of it was head knowledge. And to this day, I think that there is uh, significant portions of our faith that I, I still admit that I, I'm a, a bit of a doubting Thomas on and too skeptical about, and they almost all center around Holy Spirit's role in our life. I, I certainly understood that there were sin issues in my life. That wasn't a question, but we really do lie to ourselves a lot. And I had deluded myself into believing they weren't really that bad. And that's probably not what was separating me from really from joy, from the fruits of the spirit in general. And I, I just think massive self, self-delusion. self I, I don't run from that at all. How did that begin to get overcome in your life? What was that process God led you through? I think it started with desperation, where from a very young age, I had a severe addiction to pornography well before puberty or anything like that. I was a child, really, when I was first exposed. And so I, I think that what began taking me down this path of ultimately confession, right? And just uh, complete surrender. For me, it came down to two choices. It came down to making incredibly painful changes mm-hmm. or or taking my own life. And so I, I think you could say that I was completely down to the felt where there was no other choice because the shame and guilt and pain that I felt was so deep and so I was so lost that I knew it had to be one of those two things. And it really was a series of events that made me choose the latter. And and I think what people should understand is like, there's so much freedom on the other side of doing that, but it doesn't come without a lot of work and a lot of confession and reconciliation and, and asking people for their forgiveness, sometimes multiple times. So very simply, Brian, it came down to I didn't have any other choice if I wanted to stay on this earth, but to begin to make things right in my life. Well, let's dig into some of those details because this story is amazing, how God intervened in your life through a series of events, recalling our conversation prior to this recording about your wife going to a worship school. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yeah. So this is, I had been going through this process for I would say a solid 12 months of really wrestling with the Lord and what to do about my addiction and about the unfaithfulness towards my wife and all of these other things that led to this severe depression and suicidal thoughts and and plans. And it was beginning to come to a head in 2018, early 2018, when my wife asked me if she could attend the Bethel uh, School of Worship. And, And I actually think, Brian, it might have a slightly different name. So, it, it was their two-week-long event that was for worship leaders. Mm-hmm. And we'll call it Bethel School of Worship because I don't remember exactly what it's called. But I, I said, well, of course, yeah, you can do that. While deep down knowing the types of things that Bethel stands for were really, they, they offended me in such a way that I knew that people that were involved had this countenance of other people that I observed that I didn't have. So there was almost a sort of jealousy there, knowing that, these people lived freely and they lived with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I was so turned off by the idea because in my own self-righteousness, it was almost repulsive to me, even though I knew it was the truth. Yeah, It, it still repulsed me because in a certain sense, I wanted to stay sick. And I was also in some environments that wanted me to stay sick. 
And I think that is something that you should really reflect on. And everybody listening to this should reflect on is just what environments are you in that are actually feeding whatever that drug may be for you? So fast forward to August and my depression has reached this level that I spoke of, of either suicide or confession. And so she was gone in the middle of August for, for about two weeks. And I spent that time really carefully planning how I would take my own life. And the thought process was basically, if I do this with enough time before she gets back, somebody else will find me, whether it's a, a paramedic or my dad or somebody like that. Somebody will find me that has more emotional capacity to deal with that than my wife would finding me, right? So I had thought this out to the point of saying, like, how am I going to do it? Who's going to find me? And what is the softest way to land this for my family? Which it, it sounds just hysterical to say, but it was true. Like, those are the types of things that were going through my mind. Very methodical. It was very methodical. And so she is at this worship event for 10, 12, 13 days. And through this time, I am just in an all-out war with the Lord as he is contending for, of course, confession and surrender, mm-hmm. while certainly Satan and my flesh was contending for ending it. And that that's the ultimate victory for Satan, right? And my younger sister, who I'm extremely close to, was pregnant with her first child. And it suddenly got to a point where the days were running out before Blake came home. And my sister was very close to going into labor. And then Blake texted me and she said, I'm coming home a day early. And she said, I just have this feeling that that Holly's going to have her son. And what happened there is it compressed a time frame for me to where I don't think my methodical plan could play out in time. Otherwise, these things that I built up in my mind about my wife finding me might not be able to, she, she might be the one. Yeah. And so sure enough, my wife changed her flight to come home a day early, one day, just one day. And sure enough, my sister went into labor that same day. And so I went and picked up Blake from the airport and she started telling me about all these things God had done in her life and the way the Lord was moving, you know, at Bethel in Reading through her and and really in revelatory ways for my wife too, because my wife didn't grow up really understanding or fully appreciating the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I was totally repulsed by it, but I knew in that moment that my life had been saved. And so we drove straight to the hospital, stayed all night there, and my sister had her first son. Let me pause just for a second, Isaac. I love that statement you just mentioned that you felt like after Blake shared all the things the Lord had shown her that your life was saved. Why did you feel that way? I think I knew that if the decision was going to be made, it was going to have been made in those two weeks that she was gone. And so then when when she texted me and said, I'm coming home a day early, that was actually when I thought, this is going to go at the other direction. And this is go- going to be an extremely painful process, but it's going to go that direction. Ah. And so maybe there was a glimmer of hope there, Brian. I don't think I felt any. Yeah. But when when I picked her up and we went straight to the hospital and my sister was having her son, at that moment, I knew that I simply could not leave that legacy even for that baby boy. And I have other nieces and nephews that I am incredibly close to, but I had found ways to justify in my mind why the story could be told to do it. And with this new baby boy, I couldn't. There was no justification. I knew that I had to stand up and confront the demons in my life. And I just knew in that moment when I picked her up from the airport that that, that the decision was made no matter how long it took to play out from there. What happened next? 
it's uh, late August by this point. My my sister had her son, and I'm getting to know it. I'm still wrestling with the Lord, begging Him to help me to love what He loves and hate what He hates. And what became very clear was that He hated my sin, and He hated my shame, maybe just as much. And He hated that it had stunted any real relationships that I had in my life. Everything was fake. They were all shallow. I had a awful view of women in general. My entire worldview was was distorted by this addiction. And it took me, well, let's see, it took me really two months after that to summon the courage to actually confess these things. These are things that I had been hiding for uh, really 25 years. Mm. And even the depression portion of it. I, I think people knew that things weren't right, but they had no idea that it was an absolute force of my will just to get out of bed most days. And that there never an hour passed where I didn't think about killing myself. And wow. so I'd never told anyone that to my knowledge at that time. And so it took me two months to summon the courage and the temerity to basically address Blake, my wife, to say, I'm, I'm really not who I presented myself to be for our entire marriage and our dating life. We've been together at that point for 10 years and none of this is, is true or real and, and you need to know the truth. And Brian, I was, I was of every, every expectation that that would be the end of our relationship, the end of our marriage, that would be it. That, that was every expectation mm-hmm. that, that would happen. So after that, what happened is in, in mid-October, I was sitting in my office where I'd worked for about a decade and I G-chatted, Google chatted, my sister, the same sister who had the son. And for the first time in my entire life, I confessed everything over this. And she said words that to this day, I'll never forget. And she said, I understand, I forgive you. And you need to tell Blake right now, today. You need to tell Blake today. And I think ultimately I knew that that would be her response to some extent. Mm-hmm. But the severity of those words, the the merciful severity of those words were so stunning to me that I staggered away from my desk, went to the kitchen at my office. And the interesting thing there, and this is a strange little nuance, but it might be helpful for somebody, is that like as much courage as it had taken for me to summon telling my sister, I, I needed support and a last push to tell my wife. And And I think it's you know, if you can find somebody in your life that your relationship will will continue with no matter what you're confessing, I think it's important to recognize how valuable that is and how meaningful that might be in this type of situation. And so when she said, you have to tell Blake, well, I knew that was true. I wasn't prepared for that. And I said, okay, tomorrow I'll do it. I'll yeah. do it tomorrow. I'll write her, I'll write her a letter. And she said, okay. I will be at your house at 7 a.m. with Atlas, my son. I will be there and we will support you, but you have to do it tomorrow. And so I did. I wrote a letter and I fully expected it was a letter that would end my marriage. And I took it home, printed it off, took it home, didn't sleep that night at all for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, next morning, seven o'clock, my sister Holly, she knocks on the door. She's got her two-month-old baby in tow, the same baby that probably saved my life timing-wise. And said, we're here to support both of you. We're here to support you. And Blake had absolutely no idea what was coming whatsoever. So we sat down at my uh, kitchen island and I handed her this letter and watched as she read through it. And I fully anticipated that her reaction would would be vitriol and anger and, and incredible hurt and ultimately rejection of me and everything that I was telling her. And instead, Brian, what she did is she leapt out of her chair and held me, gave me a hug 
and said, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you over and over and over. And it was in that moment that I understood what the cross meant. I understood what grace meant. And that was beginning foundations of completely changing how I saw the Father and how I saw Jesus and what role they play in in grace and salvation. And it, it changed everything. One action. I can imagine. I'm just overwhelmed hearing what she did, Isaac. Incredible. So after that experience, what were the next steps that the Lord walked you through from that moment? There was a period of time where we had to have a number of conversations regarding clarity about the things that had happened and about how this had started. And she wanted to know about my childhood and what led to this point and why I had not told her the truth for so many years and really unpacking all of the depths and webs that had been created and tangled up within that. And so I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, Brian, that the hardest days were still in front of us. The the year 2019 was incredibly difficult, starting from scratch in my marriage and rebuilding trust and a foundation of something real for the first time and getting to know each other again, because it's like she had to get to know a completely new person. Mm-hmm. And I had done such things to damage her to an extent to where, frankly, she became a new person too. And that year was incredibly hard. And we had to put in such difficult work. It had been so long since I'd told the truth about anything that relearning how to do that was startling. And and even startling for her in that I, I had to be a different person. Mm-hmm. I had built up a pretty good facade. You know, I'd faked it pretty well and was counseling. We, we sought counseling together and individually. It was confronting several other people in my life. It was confronting a significant amount of generational sin that, and this is something that's still in process in my life, is is confronting these things generationally and all of the different entrails that that comes with. So it was a, a long process. And I would, I would suggest that four years on, it continues to this day. But something happened when she got up, hugged you and kept saying, I forgive you, I forgive you. You experienced, like you mentioned, a love that was so real that something shifted. Up to that point, you were mentioning that you were struggling with this facade and then the looking at other people who have this freedom, and you experienced that freedom then firsthand. What shifted with respect to your relationship with the Lord and that freedom you had been desiring? Did that start to manifest in your life, and how so? It definitely has, and it has been a process. And so, one of the things that I've always desired is, is some sort of a deliverance that makes everything simple and joyful in in a moment, right? Snap the fingers. Yeah, snap the fingers. I've never experienced that. What it's actually looked like for me was work uh-huh. and and ultimately laying down of just unconscionable amounts of pride. And most of that, I had a very low opinion of myself and I still struggle with that. So it wasn't so much pride in that regard. It was spiritual pride. It was the idea that I was spiritually better than other people and that like kind of had it figured out. And so I'm still in the process of deconstructing, not my faith. Hmm. I'm deconstructing my pride to posture myself in an appropriate way to the Father to say, here I am, Lord. I am yours to mold and to take. And I think what Blake showed me 
was that Jesus was so much greater and so much bigger. And grace was a topic of which I had no knowledge of than I could ever imagine. And I began from that day to reframe my entire belief system in who God the Father was and why he had to send Jesus. Because at that moment, it became personal about Jesus being sent for me. What was it about the message of grace that brought such amazing freedom and joy to your life? The message was that I needed it, that I needed grace. And I think that part of the environment that I was speaking of earlier was one that attempts to perform and that, and in that case does not quite think that it needs grace. It sort of views grace as an unfortunate byproduct of the cross where it's like, well, you messed up, but we're going to give you grace rather than it being the entire thing and how desperately we all need it. So yeah, I think that spiritual arrogance that I was talking about, I had to completely unwire my brain into surrender and recognizing I was exactly the same as the thieves on the cross. I was exactly the same as the woman at the well. I was exactly the same as Paul who slaughtered Christians. And then there's an ellipsis to that story. And the portion of that story that I'm now walking through is not the Paul that the Saul that slaughtered Christians, but the Paul who the Lord told Paul, this is going to be awful. You are going to be persecuted your entire life for my name. And Paul went and did it anyway. And that's the part that I think I'm beginning to come into, which is like, at all costs, I will tell this story to tell people about the grace of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that matters to me in this story anymore. Man, what a dramatic shift with respect to how you viewed grace. It's everything as opposed to, like you said, a byproduct, an unfortunate byproduct of the cross, which is what spiritual arrogance would see it as, right? I think that's exactly right. And I think there's an enormous portion of Christianity, that's how they view grace, whether or not they recognize it or not. They view it as something that is for other people or for sinners, rather than recognizing that we're pretty much all the same. And I do think that is one of the reasons that Jesus used Paul, Saul, because nobody can then look at Saul and say, well, this person cannot receive grace because they don't come any worse than Saul was. I mean, literally, that guy was Adolf Hitler to Christians. And when you really put it in that perspective, you start to understand the person of Jesus a lot deeper, I think. I mean, I have Saul to a lot of people in my life. There wasn't genocide, but I was treating them that way. I was abusing the relationships that way. And so at the end of the day, like that's who I was. And that is why grace became so profound to me in that moment. As you've now been walking through this over the past few years, what would you say has been the most important connection with respect to the Lord that seems to bring the greatest level of forward motion in that relationship with him? In other words, what spiritual discipline have you found personally that really makes you feel and sense God in a very unique way for you? Well, the Lord loves corporate worship, but the Lord, I believe, does not love anything more than one-on-one -on -one intimacy with a believer. 
because I, I don't think you can fake one-on-one intimacy. And I don't think you can do it ritualistically, at least not for long. I think that it can be habitual, but it, it takes such intentionality to sit down every morning or whenever you take your time in a secret place, it takes such intentionality to make sure that you are reading his word every day. And then to get silent and prostrate in front of him to let him speak to you, to minister to the Lord, to praise the Lord, to tell him about his goodness and his, you know, exalt him. And then what can unfold from there when you express gratitude for the things in your life and then when you exalt him and praise him in your quiet time, in your intimate time with the Lord, what then can come out of your prayer and your reflection with the Lord can move mountains. This is, Brian, where I think I'm, I kind of miss it, is that there is no end to the power of the faith that we have in the Lord and the power the Holy Spirit can display through us. There's no end except our own lack of faith. And I think I have faith like 0.1%. I have enough faith to tell the truth, but do I have enough faith to actually believe that people can be healed? Enough faith to actually believe the Lord wants great things for me, to believe that I'm forgiven and all, and all these other things. And it wavers, it wavers. And so I, I've come to the point where I'm absolutely desperate to be face first in front of the Lord as much as possible. Yeah. I was looking at the scripture, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And someone mentioned to me, it was Michael Roundtree, he said, a lot of us delight in our desires, but don't delight in the Lord. And he said, where we need to get for everything to be aligned is where God is our chief satisfaction, our chief delight. And that's what you're pointing to. You're desperate. Is that fair? It's it's everything, Brian. It's everything. I mean, uh, you know... I will say that in some twisted way, I might have a leg up in actually learning in this because I'd gotten to the point where nothing brought me delight, period. Everything was drudgery and everything was pain. And mm. I couldn't even enjoy the people around me. I couldn't enjoy my nieces and nephews because it, it was all such pain. And so so now I, I sort of understand how none of that can fill you except through the Lord, <laughs> except in the the vein of healthy, fruitful, life-giving relationships that share the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And so taking that delight in the Lord completely changes the way you feel about every situation in your life. And it, it just puts it in the proper perspective and proper context of where it's supposed to be. And, and I think it allows you to extend so much more grace to other people about what they've been through or have gone through or maybe are going, right? Yeah. I'm going to pivot here into the business side of your universe and ask you to please share what idea God gave you even before you had this experience of forgiveness with your wife. And the reason I'd like you to share it is to show that the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, that he still had been faithful prior to this. You know where I'm going with that? Conceptually, I know where you're going with it. I'm, I'm still not sure I can even grapple with the reality of what you just said, because it's exactly right. But my life was a disaster and the Lord was still planting seeds for me and for other people in spite of all of this. 
and if I really step back and think about the things that we just talked about, he is so much bigger and so much greater and so much better that he not only didn't abandon me, but he was setting up the foundation of future. I had absolutely no idea what it could be, despite my just utter rejection of his of his way. While we were yet sinners. And remain sinners. And remain. Yeah. He he still was showing you things. So let's talk about the idea he gave you for this business that you're in now and what he's been doing in it. Yeah. So in about 2017, I've always been very entrepreneurial minded, but I, I really wanted it to be about other people. And part of that came from a negative side of, of my life, which was a lot of self-hate, but some of it came from from the Lord too. It was it was a goodness that was in me. And so I, I conceptualized this idea that when you're speaking with someone, it's very difficult to exalt them or to lift them up without saying, you are first. And so I found myself saying it all the time to my nieces and nephews and other people in my sphere. I would say, Collins, you know, she's five. I'd say, Collins, you are beautiful. Or uh, Wilder, you are awesome at baseball. I, I was saying it all the time. I thought, I think that the Lord is placing this term in my mind for a very specific reason, and I don't know what that is. And so I, I ruminated on that for about a year, probably. And I'll never forget, Blake and I were in Belize, kind of a fifth anniversary trip. And this is in uh, May of 2018, maybe early June. And this is before I'd even confessed anything to her. And I dipped my toe into the water with her about this idea of a brand and that brand being U-R, Y-O-U-A-R-E. And it was just totally conceptual at the time. And I said, Blake, I feel like we are supposed to pursue this idea of lifting others up through a brand. And I don't know what businesses would be in it. I don't know what it would be, but it would be U-R. So that was where the idea was birthed, was in early 2018. And it it didn't become an operating business until 2021. So it's about a four-year iterative process. I love... The fact, as we already touched on, that regardless of the reality that you were living a double life at the time and that you felt no, quote, relationship, as it were, with the Lord compared to these people you were looking at, God was still downloading ideas on you. He was still showing you his grace and his love because that's who you are. That's who he made you mm-hmm. to be. And then... You start this company, so let's hear about what this company's doing and how God is moving through it. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, it's moving so powerfully. And I, and I do think, I, I just want people to go back and reflect on the point Brian just made for a moment, which is that God is going to breathe into your life no matter where you're at or what you're doing. He is breathing in your life. He is talking to you. He, is, he wants communion with you. He wants your attention. So just no matter where you're at, just stop and reflect on that right now. As, as far as UR goes, we we started with five agencies. We've since put one of those on the back burner. But the idea behind all of these is that they would help ignite the entrepreneurial aspiration of individuals. And there's a, a number of different ways that we do that. But just very simply, the agencies we, that we have, first and foremost, is UR Well. And I knew that we had to have a mind, body, spirit portion of this company because our story was incomplete without the journey to wellness. So what that looks like today is we have Samantha Walters, who is my uh, sister-in-law, is the agency director in that. And she has built a business 
through UR, of which she gets the majority of the income, and she runs UR well. She's a personal trainer. She's a uh, dietitian, and she has a podcast that talks primarily about mental and spiritual health. Samantha has her own story. I mean, Samantha had severe eating disorders. She cut herself regularly, deep depression, many of the same things that that I struggled with in a slightly different vein. I knew that Samantha had to be a part of this. So you have kind of a twofold thing is we're trying to help people get well, everything that that means. While Samantha is also building a business on the back of UR, it's really her business is what it is. So that's UR Well. We then have UR Home, which we feel like establishing a safe, peaceful, restful environment is critical towards, again, the well-being of an individual. They need a peaceful place to be able to ideate, to be able to create, to be able to be rested, to actually even have the opportunity to light their entrepreneurial aspiration on fire, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we think you are home is a critical part of that. We then have you are abundant. And you are abundant is somewhat tongue in cheek because I've lived my entire life in the just most vicious scarce mentality of there's never going to be enough. I'm always going to be poor. I need to hoard every penny. I can't be that generous. I need, you know, we're going to run out tomorrow is the way I've lived out my my entire life. So you are abundant is a sermon to myself to say like abundant, Hmm. you better believe it and live in that. (laughs) And so you are abundant is a, a, a syndication company that specializes in doing real estate deals and other deals as well, helping people do deals that they wouldn't do on their own, either by geography or size or just buying power. And then we have, and this is just recently launched, but we have UR Launched, which is specifically designed to help entrepreneurs, founders launch their company. No matter what stage they're at, I think it's really easy to get bogged down in a business, whether you need funding, you need marketing help, you need counsel, you need advice, whatever it may be, you are launched was birthed out of recognizing that people need help to see really great ideas or really great businesses or products launch. And so um, we have portions of four businesses under you are launched. There's four launched businesses per se. And then finally, we have you are good, which is purely missional and philanthropic, which is net income. We donate 20% of net income to, to missional work. And we just started last year. So we're actually operating at a loss right now. But that is, that's why we're here, right? You are good is really why we're here. Amazing. And God did something astonishing with you are launched, didn't he? He's done a number of astonishing things with launched, I, I believe. I mean, this is, this is an entity that is actually still in the formation stages and it has grown so quickly that it, frankly, I mean, I, I, I worked 15 hours yesterday and I'll do the same today because the opportunity has been so overwhelming and the equity that has been built into it already is so overwhelming that it's very difficult to keep up, just to be honest. And this is only basically an an eight-week-old idea that has launched, for lack of a better term. Incredible. The Lord is really moving through it, no doubt about it. Yeah, I love it. Well, how can people find out more about you and the UR franchise? So our tagline, our Just Do It per se, is uh, called A People Brand. So we are a people brand through and through. And that's our website is apeoplebrand.com. And that's probably the the best way to find it out. Um, I'm also active on Twitter. And uh, you can certainly find me on LinkedIn as well. 
Those are both just Isaac C. Bennett, where they can find me. And certainly we can put in the show notes, Brian, my phone number and email. People can reach out to me anytime. Perfect. As we finish here, Isaac, would love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Yeah, absolutely. Father God, I just, first of all, thank you for the opportunity that you have given me through your servant, Brian, to be a voice for you. Lord, and thank you for Brian's faithfulness in putting this out there and what that means. And thank you for dying for us. Thank you for working in our lives before we deserve it, Lord, Mm. before we even confess to you, before we even surrender ourselves to you. Thank you for that, Lord. I just ask you to go with us and in between every conversation that we have. I I just also ask if there's anybody listening to this that may have been in the situation I was in, Lord, that you would give them to walk to their white funeral, Lord, to make things right, to confess the things in their life that might be causing them shame or guilt or depression or suicide, Lord, that you would give them that courage, that person in their life, like my sister that was there for me in that moment, Father God. And Lord, just thank you again for sending your son uh, to the cross for us and everything that that means. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Isaac, thank you for your authenticity and your vulnerability. Your story is going to change people's lives. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Brian. Thank you for having me on today and just uh, kindness and the grace that you're showing me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.